your Bibles to whoop, the book of Exodus. Uh, we are continuing in our sermon series in Exodus, although we are going to be uh, taking sort of a, uh, a, a little bit of a, a several-week detour, kind of a mini-series within the book of Exodus uh, surrounding Holy Week uh, called The Most Holy Place. Uh, this week, we're going to talk about approaching the most holy place. Uh, we'll pick it up on Good Friday uh, in uh, uh, um, Opening the most holy place. Uh, next Sunday on Easter, we'll talk about securing the most holy place. And then following that, uh, Dr. Piotrowski will talk about inheriting the most holy place. Uh, and then we'll circle back around to finish up uh, the book of Exodus. Well, would you rather be, uh, uh, sorry, would I rather be feared or loved? Easy. Both. I want people to be afraid of how much they love me. If you're a fan of The Office, you might recognize this as a quote from Michael Scott when he's asked about being a boss. Would he rather be feared or loved? And this is his response. What would you prefer? Would you prefer to be feared or loved? Or rather, what do you think God prefers? Should we fear him? Should we love him? Should we be overwhelmed by God's holiness and his character, or should we be comforted by his love? Should we fall on our faces as though dead because of his glory, or should we be lifted into his arms in intimate communion? Here is what we do when we ask this question. We go back and forth on it all the time. When we think about our desire for intimacy with God and our desire to see his glory, right? It's why, even if you hate the outdoors, you might like standing on the side of a mountain and looking over at a vista because it's overwhelming. And it's also why we love deep, intimate hugs, We want both of these things. And so we oscillate back and forth between these realities. Now, when we believe that God is holy and righteous, sometimes we slip into a feeling of self-righteousness. We believe that God is holy, yes, and we believe that we're decent enough or good enough to deserve to see him in his holiness. So we become self-righteous, and we look that other folks around us don't do it right like we do. And so we get to see God's glory, but other folks don't. If we're not falling into that, we fall into this thing, as Brian talked about a little bit, of self-hatred. But God is holy, yes. And because he's holy, therefore he hates me. Because I'm not. I'm not holy. I'm unworthy, I'm sinful, I'm broken. So we fall into this level of self-hate. Sometimes then, we fall into this other place of what I'm gonna call self-flattery, which is where we downplay God's holiness because we're afraid to admit it. We kind of live up, or we, we kind of build ourselves up to say, he is loving, we're not that bad, therefore we're going to be okay, and we're just going to downplay God's holiness. He's not really concerned about holiness, he's just concerned about loving me. 
But my question for us this morning is, what if there is a way to see the glory of God, the holiness of God, to be overwhelmed by it, to fall down on our faces as though dead because of his holiness, and be comforted by his love? What if there's a way to experience both of those things? I believe there is. It's found in the most holy place. We've been walking through the book of Exodus, and certainly we've seen in this time that God's glory has been on display. He saved his people in glory. He gave them his law, and when he gave them his law, he said, you guys can't come up on this mountain, only Moses can, because I will consume you. And the people are terrified, and they hear God's voice, they see the thunder and lightning, they see his glory. And he gives these detailed instructions to Moses on the mountain. And Chris did a great job last week in showing us the importance of some of these detailed instructions in building this tabernacle, in building the ark, in building these uh, uh, altars and uh, the, the proper clothing for the priesthood, all of these pieces and the details of these because God wants to dwell with his people. And so I want to focus on one particular detail of the tabernacle called the most holy place. We can find this in Exodus 26, starting in verse 31. This is God speaking to Moses. For the inside of the tabernacle, make a special curtain of finely woven linen. Decorate it with blue, purple, and scarlet thread and with skillfully embroidered cherubim. Hang this curtain on gold hooks attached to four posts of Achaia wood Overlay the posts with gold and set them in four silver bases. Hang the inner curtain from clasp and put the Ark of the Covenant in the room behind it. This curtain will separate the holy place from the most holy place. Then put the Ark's cover, the place of atonement, on top of the Ark of the Covenant inside the most holy place. Place the table outside the inner curtain on the north side of the tabernacle and place the lampstand across the room on the south side. Make another curtain for the entrance to the sacred tent. Make it of finely woven linen and embroider it with exquisite designs using blue, purple, and scarlet thread. Craft five posts from Achaia wood. Overlay them with gold and hang the curtain from them with gold hooks. Cast five bronze bases for the posts. So this is what this looks like. Uh, This is kind of a, a rough depiction of the tabernacle. And what we're looking at here, let's see if this, this thing works. Oh yeah, look at that. This here is the most holy place, right? So this tabernacle is constructed. This is going to be the place in which God is going to dwell with his people. It's going to travel with God's people. It's like a mobile sanctuary, a mobile house for God. And they're going to set it up in all these different places. And only certain people are allowed to come in this. And then you build this tabernacle And there's this inside place, which is a holy place, so only certain people are allowed in here. And then there's this place, which is the most holy place. Now, this most holy place is not, uh, uh, not many people are allowed to be in this. Actually, we get a good description of how the most holy place worked in the book of Hebrews. In describing the most holy place, this is what the author uh, to the book of Hebrews says about the most holy place. Maybe. All right, I'm going to need you to move ahead on that. This stopped working. All right, that first covenant between God and Israel had regulations for worship and a place of worship here on earth. There were two rooms in that tabernacle. 
In the first room were a lampstand, a table, and sacred loaves of bread on the table. This room was called the holy place. The, the author to the book of Hebrews is really building on things that you've seen in the Old Testament and talking about how they apply to the people of God today. And so he is describing this place. Then there was a curtain, and behind the curtain was the second room called the most holy place. In that room were a gold incense altar and a wooden chest called the Ark of the Covenant, which was covered with gold on all sides. Inside the ark were a gold jar containing manna, Aaron's staff that sprouted leaves, and the stone tablets of the covenant. Above the ark were the cherubim of divine glory, whose wings stretched out over the ark's cover, the place of atonement. But we cannot explain these things in detail now. When these things were all in place, the priests regularly entered the first room as they performed their religious duties, but only the high priest ever entered the most holy place, and only once a year. And he always offered blood for his own sins and for the sins of the people that the people had committed in ignorance. Only the high priest and only once a year were they allowed to go into the most holy place. Other places in scripture in, in Leviticus 16, it describes a little bit about this one time a year in which the high priest is going to go into the most holy place. In Leviticus uh, 16.2, it says, The Lord said to Moses, Warn your brother Aaron not to enter the most holy place behind the inner curtain whenever he chooses. If he does, he will die. For the ark's cover, the place of atonement is there, and I myself am present in the cloud above the atonement cover. This process is described in Leviticus 16 uh, on the Day of Atonement, this day in which the high priest was allowed to enter the most holy place. I won't read the whole uh, section, but it is a process to enter the most holy place. It is a careful approach. First, Aaron would bring sacrifices for himself, and he would have to wear the proper clothing. He couldn't just stroll up in whatever he was wearing for the day. He had to wear the proper clothing and then go into a ceremonial wash. After that, he would bring the sin offering and the burnt offering for the community. Then he would offer the sacrifices to cleanse himself and his family of his own sins. Then he would choose, there would be two goats, and he would choose one of these goats to be the sin offering, the sin offering that would be killed before the altar, and one of these goats that would be uh, the scapegoat. That word scapegoat actually comes from this idea. And uh, the scapegoat would be the one that he would then pray over, lay his hands on, and put all of the sins of the people on this goat. And then there would be another person who would drive that goat out into the wilderness, representing that the sins were being taken away from God's people. So he would sacrifice first for himself and his family, and then he would burn some incense. Then finally he would enter the most holy place. He would sprinkle the blood that he had sacrificed for himself on the atonement cover. Then he would sacrifice for the people. And he would bring that blood in to, sac- uh, to sprinkle on the atonement cover. And then he would take all of that and go out and purify the altar that's in the holy place. And then he would lay his hands on the scapegoat and another man would take him into the wilderness. Now, we can ask, the distance that we have from this culture makes us think, like, okay, why? 
Like, why do all that? Here's the thing. There's one point in all of this. God is holy. God is holy. The word holy, we often think means uh, like kind of a moral purity, which certainly it includes that, but holy really just means separate, distinct. Sorry. Not like you. Separate, distinct, not like you at all, sacred. There's certainly moral purity in it, but it's much more than that. It's glory and radiance. There's there's no other way to describe God in other than saying he is not like you at all. He is transcendent. Anytime you see these descriptions in which people encounter angels or angelic beings or God, they fall on their face as though dead because he is too glorious to behold. And we're going to get to this uh, in uh, a month or so. We're going to get to this place in which Moses says, God, I want to see your glory. And God's like, you don't know what you're asking, man. But all right, I'll hide you in the corner and I'll cover your face with my hand and then I'll pull it back and you can see my backside as I walk past you. And maybe you won't die. And then Moses, when after Moses is meeting with God, he comes out and the people can't even look at him because he's shining so brightly. He has to wear a veil over his face. This is glory indescribable. Anytime you read in the prophets when they're trying to describe what they see of heaven, it makes no sense. You're like, wait, what? There's wheels and fire and burn like they don't have words to describe what they're seeing it's too glorious think about the most beautiful thing you've ever experienced a place that truly takes your breath away that you don't know how to describe it that is a tiny tiny piece of what it's like to experience god in his glory He is overwhelming. Sometimes the best way to describe something is actually to put it in contrast with something else. Why does Moses, or why does God tell Moses to warn Aaron? Well, because we see what happens when you don't take that warning. Leviticus 10, Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu, put coals of fire on their incense burners and sprinkled the incense over them. In this way, they disobeyed the Lord. Now, we don't know exactly what that means. In this way, they disobeyed the Lord. They either burned uh, something different that they weren't supposed to, or they took it upon themselves to burn it in a way that they weren't supposed to, or took it in an improper way, or whatever happened. But, but they burned the wrong, burning before him the wrong kind of fire, different than what he had commanded. So fire blazed forth from the Lord's presence and burned them up. And they died there before the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, this is what the Lord meant when he said, I will display my holiness through those who come near me. I will display my glory before all the people. And Aaron was silent. God is holy. And so to encounter him as not holy is to encounter judgment, being burned up. There's no other way to describe it, and it's not because 
of anything other than the fact that God is too pure and holy, and it is in the very nature of pure light to eradicate darkness. What it does. Light and dark can't exist together. And so to approach the most holy place is to approach terror. He is glorious. He is glorious. There's another story similar to this in 2 Samuel. In 2 Samuel, the Ark of the Covenant, this, this Ark that is carrying in it these tablets of stone displaying the covenant promises, or displaying the covenant, the Ten Commandments, it had been stolen from Israel. And a whole bunch of crazy things happened to those who steal it, right? It's a bad idea to steal the Ark. Uh, but David goes to get it back. And they're bringing it back, and this is what happens. But when they arrived at the threshing floor of Nacon, the oxen stumbled, and Uzzah reached out his hand and steadied the ark. Okay, now, now imagine this, right? You are carrying the ark, and the ox stumbles, and the ark, the ark of the covenant's going to hit the ground. What are you going to do? You're going to catch it. Then the Lord's anger was aroused against Uzzah, and God struck him dead because of this. So Uzzah died right there beside the ark of God. Now, we read passages like this, and we're like, okay, I don't know what to do with this. This does not sound okay. Like, why is God so angry at Uzzah for catching the ark? It was going to fall to the ground. That misses the point and asks the wrong question. This is to overwhelm us with how holy God is. It just is. You can ask the question, why would fire burn my hand? That's a silly question. It's fire. That's what it does. God is an all-consuming fire, the book of Hebrews tells us. He is holy, and to encounter him is to encounter his holiness. Why does God remind the people of this all the time? Because they forget really quickly who they're dealing with. Right? Uh, spoiler for a few weeks from now, one of my favorite passages is, this, uh, is the story of the golden calf. Because it just so well describes us all the time. Man, we are terrified to go up on that mountain. But man, Moses is taking a long time. Let's make a God. I mean, this is a bad idea, guys. This is a bad idea. But isn't this what we do all the time? We've experienced God's holiness. We know he's holy. But boy, he's taken a long time. I think I'll do my own thing. And he reminds the people over and over again, you don't know who you're messing with. You need to be reminded, I'm going to travel with you in this tabernacle and only once a year, Aaron's going to go in here, or whoever the high priest is, is going to go in here and meet with me. And only once a year this is going to happen. And if you do it wrong, someone's going to be struck down dead because you need to remember how glorious I really am. How holy I really am. This should give us an answer when we become self-righteous. You really think you're holier than Aaron's sons? I mean, they were Aaron's sons. 
or Uzzah or Aaron or Moses. And yet all of them experience this glory in a way that puts them in their place. When you feel self-righteous as though you have the ability to look out upon others who maybe their struggle is different than yours and judge them, remember God's glory. Be reminded that you are not approaching a God who is just like your buddy. He is holy. He is an all-consuming fire. It should also answer those who fall into self-flattery. When we trivialize God's holiness and just sort of flatter ourselves that we're doing all right. Because we're really afraid to actually admit who we really are. What would it mean if God was really this holy? That's why we fall into self-hatred. We fall into self-hatred because we don't want to admit that if God is this holy, what does it mean about me? And so what we do, we create our own most holy place. A place that we lock away that no one's allowed to know about. Not even God. A place of our deepest shame and fear and brokenness. And we put a veil or a thick blackout curtain between that place and God. Not even God can look at this place. We pretend that that place doesn't exist. We hide it away. But I want to ask us, you're probably sitting here thinking like, okay, so I guess he answered the question, God desires to be feared. <laughs> like, geez, man, chill out. Sorry, guys, I've been out of the pulpit for a few weeks, so I just got to bring it. But, but I want to ask at the center of this most holy place, what's actually there? God is telling them, I am holy. I dwell in unapproachable light. I am glorious. What's at the very center of the holy place, the most holy place? Only once a year you're allowed to enter. Only the high priest is allowed to enter. This is the place in which I myself will sit. What's there? Atonement. Atonement. Place inside the ark. This is, this is describing the ark, right? And the ark is the thing that's sitting in the most holy place. It's the only thing in there. Place inside the ark the stone tablets inscribed with the terms of the covenant, which I will give to you. Then put the atonement cover. Some translations call it the mercy seat. This place in which I will cover your sins on top of the ark. I will meet with you there and talk to you from above the atonement cover between the gold cherubim that hover over the ark of the covenant. From there, I will give you my commands for the people of Israel. This is the tension. The most holy place, the place that only the most set-apart high priest can enter and only once a year, the most intimate place, they're the same. 
the most holy place in which only the high priest can enter and only once a year is also the most intimate place in which God will meet with his people. Where God will dwell and meet with them and it's the mercy seat, the place of atonement. Why do these two things go together? Because God wants to dwell with his people, right? This is what Chris brought out so well last week. God wants to dwell with his people. He says, I'm gonna dwell with you. You will be my people. I will be your God. We are going to dwell together. But you're sinful and I'm holy. How can light and dark exist in the same place? This is the whole tension of the Bible. A God of insane glory, the God of the universe who flung the stars into place and knows their name. We don't even know where they are, and he knows their name. Who loves a sinful, broken people. Who's captivated. Who delights in a sinful, broken people. How is that possible? Well, God's going to make a way. This is why this whole process exists. The blood of goats would come in, that God would make a sacrificial system. He would set up all of these things in order to communicate, I will make a way for you to come near to me. But the average member of the people of God didn't get access to that, to see that. To meet with God and have him say, you are forgiven. I place my righteous wrath on this animal instead of you. Now enter my presence. No one got to see that but the high priest. This is why after describing that, that day of atonement, the author to the Hebrews uh, says this. But these regulations, or by these regulations, the Holy Spirit revealed that the entrance to the most holy place was not freely open as long as the tabernacle and the system it represented it were still in use. The entrance was not freely open. Only the high priest could enter, and only once a year. You know, most of us live our lives like God still dwells in that tabernacle, in the most holy place. We don't enter in. We're too afraid. Or if we do, we enter in infrequently and cautiously. We gotta clean ourselves up first, right? We don't do ceremonial washings, but we do religious practice washings. If I could get my devotions right first, then I can go meet with God. I, like, I'm not gonna go in, I, I gotta deal with all this stuff that I'm dealing with first. Gotta deal with this Sin stuff out here before I go meet with God in here. Or we think, yeah, God lets me in the community, but I don't get to enter the most holy place. I'm not, I'm not righteous. I mean, I'm not the pastor. I'm not a leader. I'm not holy. I don't get to enter into that place. Someone else gets to. That kind of intimacy, that kind of communion with God, that kind of reassurance. I mean, imagine the reassurance that Aaron feels when he goes into that place, seeing that glory, not being consumed. Goodness. That's for other people, not for me. I don't get to see that. 
I'm not sure that I'm really accepted. And so I have to atone over and over again. Now the tabernacle, right, this most holy place, it's a perfect cube. It's designed to be this perfect cube. uh, Like the measurements are all given. And when Israel eventually lands in Israel and builds a temple, that most holy place is preserved. It's just enlarged. It's still a perfect cube. It's made bigger. And the most holy place exists still in the temple. This here is the start of Holy Week, Palm Sunday, when Jesus entered in triumphantly into Jerusalem and is hailed as a king, approaching the temple. Mark 11, as Jesus approached, Jesus was in the center of the procession and the people all around him were shouting, praise God, blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord, blessings on the coming kingdom of our ancestor, praise God in the highest heaven. They only sort of knew what they were saying. The glory of God dwelling in that tabernacle, sitting above the cherubim, in the cloud, one that you could only approach once a year just with the high priest, the one who if you touched the ark, you were gonna die. If you brought the wrong incense, you were gonna die. The one who dwells in unapproachable light was standing in front of them. The glory of God was presence in Jesus. He was there. The glory of God was right in front of them. The Holy One was not behind the veil in the temple, but was right in front of them. And what happens? They praise God on Palm Sunday, and then they betray and arrest him. And then he actually enters the house of the high priest. This one who is supposed to go into the most holy place once a year to make atonement is standing in front of the holy God of the universe. And he condemns him. But in doing so, Jesus actually accomplishes something incredibly remarkable. He accomplishes what happens in the most holy place. He goes to a cross On Good Friday, and when Jesus dies, Mark tells us, then Jesus uttered another loud cry and breathed his last, and the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Do you know what this means? This is the curtain that separates the holy place from the most holy place. It is torn in two. Now we're going to cover this in more detail on on Friday. This is the text we're going to look at in more detail on Friday and then on Easter Sunday. But what this means, friends, is that the most holy place can be approached. It's open. This place of God's incredible glory in which you see that he is holy beyond your wildest imagination. He also says, come near because I've dealt with all of your sin. 
I've dealt with all of your sin once and for all. Because I put it not on a goat, but on my son Jesus. All of your sin can be dealt with. So that the place in which we fear most to come near to the presence of God can actually be the place in which we are overwhelmed by his glory and given the most intimate communion and hug we can possibly imagine. We can know that God is unapproachably holy and approachably in love with us. That he delights in us. It means this place of glory and intimacy is now open. So that as the author to the Hebrews says, so then, since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faced all the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy. Right? So put this together. Throne of our gracious God. There we will receive mercy. What does that sound like? Where is God going to sit in the tabernacle? He's going to sit like on a throne on the mercy seat. What What the author to the Hebrews is saying is, Don't go once a year after your washings, putting on your right clothing, coming with the blood of bulls and goats in front of you. He says, run into the most holy place. The place in which God dwells in unapproachable light, you can now boldly run into because he has made atonement. And it's at that place where you are shown God's overwhelming glory and God's overwhelming love, that's where we get help. That's where we receive mercy and we find grace to help us when we need it most. It's at this place in which God says, I am holy and you are not, but I will take care of that. You will come to me and trust in Jesus. You get both to be overwhelmed by my glory and comforted by my love. So this week, as we approach Holy Week, let's approach the most holy place. Let's not hide from God any of our stuff, our junk, our shame, our guilt. Let's actually boldly bring it in. Bring it right to his face. Because he has said, you're welcome here. Welcome here. Not because I'm not holy. Not because you're not sinful. But because on the cross, I dealt with your sin so that you can be made righteous in my sight. And you can come boldly into this place. Pray together. Father, we come to you now. Because of Jesus, our great high priest. We come, Lord, boldly entering your most holy place, your presence. God, I'll be honest, we don't 
have categories in our minds to know what it means to see you in that holiness. So Lord, we need your spirit to open our eyes to see you in all your glory and to experience the communion of your love. Jesus, would you do that? Would you do that thing for us? Would we come and experience that glory, experience your love? Lord, would you show us how much you delight in us? pray this in Christ's name. Amen.